Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let me pray as we come to God's word. And we continue to reflect on this theme together. Heavenly Father, you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit that by them we might know how to better live for you by your grace. And I pray as we look at this passage together, as we think about what it means to run in the race of life, that you would instruct us, you would challenge us, you would encourage us and help us to know that we run in the race together and that you are by our side. You have gone ahead of us. You never leave us, and therefore we can have every confidence that we will cross the finish line. Please speak to us through this passage now, I pray. Amen. Um, Well, if you're not a a sportsman, uh, I'm sure you would have enjoyed the Olympics back in 2012. It's hard to believe it was six years ago now, isn't it? Um, But really, any of the images that you saw on the screen were a wonderful little picture of life, aren't they? Uh, Life being a race. Actually, you probably don't need to think very hard or very far to consider life being a race. If you were to head down to London tomorrow morning and you headed across London Bridge towards the South Bank, you'll see everybody racing, head down, not talking, racing to their work. Perhaps a little bit further along, the the Millennium Bridge going the other way, you'd see St. Paul's in front of you, people racing along that bridge, turning right up into the city to work. And actually, you don't even need to be in the city of London to be involved in a race. Uh, I've just come back from holiday in Cornwall, You'll know what it's like if you've ever uh, taken a holiday at the beach. It's a race to get to the car park. (laughs) Otherwise, you've got to park miles away and traipse all the kit down to the beach. It's a race to find the spot on the beach. You want to be near enough to the sea that no one blocks your view, 
but not so close that someone else has the last laugh when you have to pack it all up when the sea comes back in. Life is a race. And if you consider for a moment the speed at which our society runs these days, everything being so instant on the mobile phones, etc., you'll see that for all of us, actually, life is a race. We are rushing around. If I was to say to you, how are you? If you weren't really thinking, you'd probably respond like I would. Oh, I'm okay, but busy. See, life is busy. Life is full. Life is a race. But the big question, which has always had posed to us in the little talk to the children earlier, and which we've seen from the video here, is asking ourselves the question, are you and am I running in God's race? Have a look at chapter uh, 12 and look at the end of verse 1 that was just read to us. We're called to run the race that has been marked out for us. Sure, we're all running in a race because the world is a very busy place. We're all rushing from this thing to the next. But we need to ask ourselves the question, busyness isn't necessarily what's best. Are we busy doing God's work? And are you therefore running in his race? I read a little book while I was on holiday and there was a line in it that really struck me. It said this, when you think about God, what you think changes everything. Think about that. When you think about God, what you think changes everything. So who is God? Uh, sitting in Cornwall, looking at the beautiful sunsets at a beach on many evenings, it was a wonderful place just to remind myself that God is creator. Perhaps some of the most important words in the whole of the Christian scriptures come at the beginning of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. Tells us a huge amount just in those few words. God is the creator. And if we can recognize that God is the creator of everything, then it helps us to understand that he is the one who has marked out this race for us to run in. It's not our race where we design the race and we run, but it's his race which he has placed us in. And if we're to run in his race, in his way, then we won't be running in vain. Do you see there in verse 1 as well, we're not just called to run the race that's been marked out for us, but we're called to run it with perseverance. Which implies that the Christian life will almost certainly be challenging. Think of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. You'll know the little parable, won't you? Narrow is the road that leads to life. Few walk on it. But broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many walk that way. If you want to go back to chapter 10, verse 36, from a few weeks ago, we read this. You need to persevere... So that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So to continue our little theme, thinking about the Olympics, to think about running in a race. There is a picture to show us what motivated Mo Farah in all his training, in all his hard work to persevere. It was the gold, the prize, the finish line. Without that, if it was just a picture maybe on the front page of the newspaper, he wouldn't have done it. But he was running for this. I wonder what it is that motivates us to persevere in the Christian life. Now just look again at verse 1. Notice three little things we're told about the race. The first one is this, that there's a goal. Notice that there's a race that has been marked out for us. See, the wonderful thing about the Christian life is that God lifts us out of our story and places us in his story, showing us that life doesn't need to be what I construct it to be, but life is what he has designed it to be. 
which means I don't need to settle for an aimless life, just charging on, busy, 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 but not really aiming for anything. And neither do I need to seek to run the race that I mark out for myself. And yet how often do we mark out our own race and then run it in our own way rather than running the race that's already been marked out for us? There is a goal. And our Savior and our God has marked that race out for us. So there's a goal. Notice secondly in verse 1, we're to run this race with other people. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation on our own. Let us run. Sometimes I think we treat the Christian life as if it's just us running in the race and we have to endure whatever comes our way in our own way. But as you look around this morning, this is what the Christian life should be. It's a church. It's a gathering of people. We run together. Let us run. And notice too that our progress is easily slowed. And we saw that in the little illustration from Marathon Man earlier on. We're called to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Here's Mo Farah before the 10,000 meters in the London 2012 Olympics. It was a wonderful day. Just I want you to notice two little observations about all the runners on the finish line. One's to do with their build. There are others to do with what they're wearing. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Mo Farah is not carrying any excess body weight. Why? Because it would hinder him in the race. He's lean, he's trained, he's fit, he ate well, so that he didn't have to carry any excess baggage so he could move as quickly as possible. Notice too, he's not wearing a suit and tie or lots of baggy clothes. They'd slow him down. Very deliberately, he gets to the start line in great physical shape and wearing minimal clothing so that he can run. So there's very little that's hindering him and holding him back. Well, Wellesley asked the question earlier, what is it that's holding you back as you run in the Christian life? What might hinder you from running? Well, maybe for some of us it's distraction. Can you imagine if Mo Farah was running, wearing this clothing, but he had a phone, an iPhone, in his hand. And as he was running around, everyone screaming, Mo, what are you doing? Gold medal at the end. He's going, yeah, I know this is the Olympic final. I need to run, but I've also got a few emails to do. Important deal. We laugh. It's ridiculous because he has to be single-minded. But actually, how often are we pretty distracted by many legitimate things in life that actually take our minds off the fact that we're running in God's race towards his goal? What else hinders you from persevering? Maybe apathy, just losing sight of the goal. Imagine if there was no finish line. Imagine if they just had to run around the track until it was declared that they'd reached the finish line, but they had no idea where it was. They might go off pretty fast, but after a while they get pretty bored, apathetic. Where's the goal? Where's the finish line? What's the point? Sometimes I think that when they're running around the track many times. But they do know that there's a goal. They know how many laps. They know that there's an end point. But if we lose sight of the goal... We can become quite tired in a spiritual sense. Uh, maybe for some it's a sense of shame, past failure, guilt, a mistake we've made in our life. It can happen to all of us in different ways. But if we're really honest, the thing that holds us back and stops us persevering is that we're still living in the past, being defined by something that's happened rather than using what's happened to shape who we are to persevere and keep running. And sometimes it's pride that can stop us. Uh, And we end up wanting just to run this race alone. I don't need other people, we might think. Look again at verse 1, because these things are not the way we're to run. We're told, verse 1, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, for years, I read that, and I thought of the film The Lion King. Uh, I saw this word cloud, and I kind of... You know the film The Lion King, where Simba, the little um, lion 
uh, his father dies. And all the way through the film, then, up in the sky, there's this sort of, like, picture of his father sort of looking down on him. And the, the father speaks to him, Simba, and the father speaks to the son and tells him how he's to live his life. And I always kind of thought this was the main sense in which we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, maybe we will be inspired by people who've lived before us. Uh, a parent, uh, another Christian. But actually, is this, not, is this cloud of witnesses not closer to home? Not just sort of looking up into space with some wishful thinking of someone willing me on. What have we just seen in chapter 11? There is a great cloud of witnesses. The scriptures testifying to the life of many people who've gone before. And why are they there? They're there to encourage us. The wonderful thing about Hebrews chapter 11 is that almost everybody who's mentioned, everybody in fact, was broken and made mistakes. Gives you and I a bit of hope. But there's a great cloud of witnesses. The scriptures encourage us. But also, maybe this cloud of witnesses is even closer to home still. Maybe actually we're to read it as you and I. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Because you encourage me as I run. And I pray that I encourage you as you run. And together we help each other. To do what, verse 2? To fix our eyes on Jesus. See, eyes are very important, aren't they? Um, Where you look, the direction you look, in itself is an act of faith and trust, isn't it? Uh, These athletes are fixed. Their minds are fixed on the finish line. You see this most perfectly in the 100 meters sprint. Heads do not move. They're just fixed on the finish line. You imagine if one of the great runners of the history, like Usain Bolt, was looking up in the crowd as he ran. I mean, often he did because he was so good. But you see the point. The runners are running and their eyes are fixed on the finish line. Where are your eyes fixed as you run in the Christian life? Um, Just go back to chapter 11. Let's have a look at the example of Moses. Where was his eyes fixed? Chapter 11, verse 26. Have a look at the second half. He was looking ahead to his reward so that by faith he left Egypt. And then into 27... He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. It's a puzzling phrase, isn't it? Can you see God who is invisible? Are your eyes fixed on him? Uh, Danny Cornwall and the Khan family, many of you will know from church, joined us for a few days. And uh, Harvey, the little boy, um, spent almost all of his time looking for crabs. He insisted so much that even when we were in the car park coming home at a service station that there might even be crabs in the woods. I assured him there wouldn't be. But as we did some crabbing together, you get to a rock pool and you look for the crabs. And of course, at first you can't see them. But after many, many days of crabbing, it seemed, we started to train our eyes to spot these little creatures that were very well camouflaged. But as we looked, we saw what seemed to be unseen. And we spotted the crabs and it was easier to catch them. As you think about the Christian life, can you see the Lord? Can you see the Lord's hand on your life? Notice verse 2, we read of the Lord Jesus, he is the pioneer, some translations will say the author of our faith. If you were asked the question, why are you a Christian? I hope your answer will only ever be because Jesus, dot, dot, dot. He's the one who we saw on the screen earlier, started us in the race when his grace shone into our hearts to show us who he was. But he's not just the pioneer, the author of faith. He's also the perfecter of faith. He begins the Christian life as he works in our life. And he will give us assurance and carry us through to the end. And we saw that assurance, didn't we, in chapter 6 in our little series. Well, we've thought about this a little bit this morning. But what's missing? 
You've got Mo Farah there on the finish line and you've got Mo Farah at the finish line with his gold medals. But what's in the middle? Answer, a whole lot of hard work. Nobody stands at the start line in a race and then gets to the finish line and wins a gold medal without a lot of hard work. And in the same way, nobody starts the Christian life and gets to the finish line without a whole lot of hard work. The Christian life is tough, particularly if we want to be obedient to Christ, if we want to pick up our cross, deny self, and follow him wholeheartedly. And we see in the Lord Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, he's not calling us to go a place he has not been himself. That's really important, particularly when we're struggling or suffering and we see Jesus saying, follow me. He doesn't speak those words in some sort of a spiritual vacuum. But he says, follow me because I've been there. I am the author of your faith. I am the perfecter. And I have walked the life. And for me, it involved great suffering, he says. Have a look at verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart how are you perhaps in a place at the moment where spiritually speaking you're weary where are you maybe most tempted of losing heart maybe it's just the scale of the task as a Christian you just look at the world you go down to London Bridge tomorrow morning you just see people heading on and you can be sure that most of them don't even profess faith in their creator And you think, well, how is the church, our little church, ever going to make a difference? Maybe it's the apathy of those around you. You've witnessed to your neighbors, to family members for years. You've prayed fervently for them. Nothing seems to be changing. Tempted to give up. Maybe you've just been running in the race for a long, long time. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, some here longer than that. Running the Christian life. And you know far more than I do about what running the Christian life is about. And you're tired, and legitimately so. Maybe look on to verse 15. Maybe something's happened in your life, and there's a temptation that a bitter root might grow up in your life. And what does bitterness do? It steals our joy, it sucks our energy. Maybe that is one of the ways in which we can grow weary and lose heart. And yet, what do we see in verse 1? Sin entangles us, and yet we're to fix our eyes, verse 2, on Jesus. The race can make us weary, verse 3, but we're told to consider him. And who is he as we consider him? Look at verse 2 and 3. Twice we see that the one who calls us to fix our eyes on him is one himself who has endured. And why does he endure? We read, for the joy set before him. Now what was that joy? Probably a number of things, but... At its most fundamental, it must be the joy of pleasing his heavenly father. I don't do my will, but I do the will of my father who sent me. And what was his will? That you, Jesus, my son, will not lose anyone that I have given to you. So the joy set before the son was pleasing his father. And his father's work was through the son to rescue you and me. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he thinks of you. You are his joy. There's a lot of people in the world now. There's a lot of people who have been. There will be a lot of people in the future. But we are his joy. The people he lived for. The reason why he cried in the garden, not my will but yours be done. 
And that, friends, is why he was able to endure. So how do we consider him? Well, key, isn't it, to considering him, to fixing our eyes on him, is to considering our heart, keeping our heart in the right place. Now, you look at Hebrews chapter 10. We've already been here. The Christians that the writer writes to have suffered. Remember those earlier days that you received the light? You endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. The Hebrews were going through a lot in their life, and perhaps you are going through a lot in your life. But the major issue in the book of Hebrews, and we've seen it time and time again in our series, is that of drifting. Drifting. And so actually, our biggest battle in our life will not be the circumstances that we face. As real and as difficult as they are, the biggest battle we'll face is the battle for our heart. And what does sin do? Verse 1, it hinders, it entangles, it misdirects our heart. It strangles our heart and stops our heart affection being set on the one who says, consider me. Fix your eyes on me. But again, look at Moses, a wonderful example. Chapter 11, verse 25. We read, he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a time. What do athletes do when they face that screaming legs, the screaming burning lungs in their training? Every bit of them wants to give up easier just for them to stop in that moment but why do they push on and keep going because they know there's a goal and friends that's what we're to do to push on so as we pull things to a close i want to give us three things to remember to encourage us as we run in this race and here's the first one remember the word of god do you see in verse five how is the word of god described The writer says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? That is what the scriptures are. They're encouragement to us. But do we read them? And more than read them, do we dwell on them? Do we allow them to sink into our heart? Do they shape and mold our lives? The word of God is described as an encouragement. And how is the God of that word described? Do you see here? This word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. Every time we pick up God's word to read it, our heavenly father speaks to us through his spirit and addresses us as son and as daughter. Not a distant God, a distant deity speaking some general sense to people who might be bothered to listen, but a loving father who speaks a word in season to you today as his son and his daughter. God's word is timeless. It's also timely. You experienced that before? Have you ever experienced that even if you have a set of devotions in a book and you read one and the one you read on that day really speaks into your life in a very specific way? Coincidence? I'd encourage you not to be quite so cynical perhaps. God is at work. So remember God's word. Secondly, remember God's care. One of the puzzles in this chapter, after the sort of exhortation to keep going, is this instruction about discipline. But actually, the discipline of God is a sign of his care. Really in the same way that the discipline of a parent is a sign of their care. Have a look at verse 7. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone goes through discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. In other words, you will prove yourself to be a true son or daughter because by God's grace, he keeps you through the struggles of your life. Moreover, verse 9, we have all have human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? I wonder, how do you respond to the discipline of God? Perhaps the discipline that comes through a very trying circumstance that you'd rather you didn't have to go through. Perhaps a discipline that comes through something you read in the word of God that rebukes or challenges. So we can respond to God's discipline with a kind of apathetic acceptance. Oh, we just live in a broken world and that's my lot. We can respond to God's discipline with a kind of self-reliant determination. I've just got to keep going because that is what life is about. I've just got to endure, stiff up a lip. I can respond to God's discipline with a kind of introspective, woe is me, and the whole world just becomes about me. In a different way, the world can become about me because I can punish myself. Or maybe I deserve this, we might think. And yet none of those are the ways that the Bible would call us to respond to his discipline. Instead, God wants us to grow through his discipline. Because ultimately, the hardships we go through in life give us opportunity to take us to Jesus Christ, the one himself who has gone ahead of us, who knows what it's like to suffer, who knows what it's like to be alone and to be abandoned, who knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be rejected, Which is why throughout our passage we're called to consider him, to draw close to him. So friends, remember the word of God. It encourages us, a father instructing their children. Remember God's discipline. It is his way, one way of his care for us because it drives us to him. And thirdly, remember God's purposes. Have a look at verse 10. Speaking of our fathers, they disciplined us for a little while while they thought uh, as they thought best but god disciplines us for our good what does the world say your good is perhaps ease of life comfort happiness good things but not ultimate things what does god say your good is we see here in verse 10 in order that we may share in his holiness god's number one goal for your life is not happiness it's really important you grasp that Not because God doesn't want you to be happy, but because happiness is not ultimate. His number one goal for us is that we become more like him. And many of you will be able to testify that you have become more like him and are becoming more like him through the trials of your life. Just notice as an example, I read Psalm 119 in the week before holidays, and there's a couple of very puzzling verses in it. The psalmist declares before i was afflicted we don't know what they were afflicted with but before i was afflicted i went astray but now i obey your word it was good for me to be afflicted so that i might learn your decrees this isn't a writer willing suffering upon themselves but it's a writer who perhaps says through my sufferings it's maybe humbled me it's maybe shown me the need for my savior even more and maybe these are verses that have to be grappled with we've got to sort of think about this But God has a purpose in our life. And we see back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, 
Of course, the writer knows it's not easy. What does he say? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, read this, trained by it. Training for a physical race at the Olympics is painful, but it leads to victory. And often the discipline that God puts us through is painful. Often it won't be explained in this life. We shouldn't always try to explain why some people seem to go through more than others. But ultimately we've got to trust that God is training us and taking us to our saviour. Here's a little challenge for you to think about as we finish. When you face the hardships of your life, do you see them as a sort of series of disconnected events that are just part of living in a broken world? Of course, there's a lot of that. But actually, can we do what Moses did and learn to see the God who is unseen? To learn to see God in the detail of life, to see God in the struggles we go through, in the victories and see him in the pain. Because we read in verse 27 of chapter 11, Moses was looking ahead to his reward, so by faith he left Egypt. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Maybe we need to help one another to see God more in life, in everything. And to see his goodness to us through the joys of life, but also through the struggles. Well, how does the writer end? Verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees i love the way this finishes because there's this challenge all the way through the passage to keep going to keep running but are you anything like me sometimes you or perhaps often you feel feeble you feel weak at the knees life just overwhelms you it's wonderful here that the writer having given us exhortation to keep running is realistic that it will be tough So it calls us to strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees, not by trying harder ourselves, but to come back to Jesus. And so for one last time, let me read these words as an encouragement to us as we close. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart when you take a moment of quiet just to reflect on those words as they remain on the screen and in a few moments the band will lead us in a couple of songs that point us to Jesus and encourage us to fix our eyes on him